The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. We get to finish a three-part look at Romans 13, 1 through 7. And uh, we're, calling, we're calling this time in this specific text um, our, our civil duty. And, and here is what we have seen. So it, just to catch us up a little bit, in, in chapter 13 of Romans, or chapter 12 of Romans, sorry, what we, what we saw in chapter 12 is that Paul drives us to think about and to consider our responsibility and our role as Christians in the church, our responsibility kind of to each other. That's what chapter 12 is, is all about. He, he, Paul lays out for us, what does it look like? What are the true marks of a believer in the church? That's chapter 12. But then we saw a shift happen in chapter 13. And in chapter 13, we saw the shift from our responsibility within the church and our duties toward each other. What we saw is in chapter 13, it shift to get us to consider our responsibilities in our community, our responsibilities out there, if, if you will. Um, and one thing before we get into this text, I got to be honest, this time has been surprising. Uh, it has been surprising for me. It has been beautiful, convicting, and applicable. Um, and, and what I mean by that is I know that any time we get to a text that causes us to consider politics, there's a potential uh, for a little conflict. There's a potential for a little controversy. And, and I was expecting this text to be difficult because of that. I kind of knew that was going to come. But here's the deal. Um, this text has been and can be absolutely, it can be difficult to apply at times. I don't want to take away from that. But what this text, more than that, this text has been wonderful and beautiful and timely for me. It has been so rich and clarifying for me. And I hope it's been that way for you as well. Um, here we are, I'm grateful for this. What, what what I'd like to do as we start into this text, I, I want to read it. Um, we're going to be focused in on verses 5 through 7 of Romans 13. However, this is the third part, and this is the time when we bring it all together. So I thought it would be fitting for me if, in our time as we, before we get to work, if I just read our, our, the whole text that we're putting all together this morning. So if you have your Bibles, Romans 13 I want to read verses 1 through 7, and then we'll pray, and then we will get to work, okay? Romans 13, 1 through 7 says this. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. 
But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. We know, we fully know, we fully understand that we are limited in our understanding. We know that we are sinners in need of your grace. But we also know, Lord, that you meet us here. You meet us right here in this place together in your words. The word of God, would you speak? Would you open our eyes? Would you convict us and change us? And most of all, would you cause us to see the beauty of Jesus this morning in Jesus' name? Amen. Amen. All right. Um, there are a couple big, big truths that, that, that we've come to see from our text. And um, if you've missed the last couple weeks, um, I'd like to just lay some groundwork uh, for us together. And, and also, along with that, I want to invite you, if, if ever you want to take a listen or a watch to any of the sermons that we have previously preached, our team does a great job of recording these and our goal, our heart, is that there are a resource potentially for you. And so if you've missed and you want to take a, a, a listen, I want to invite you to that. But let me just hit, for this moment, for our time, as we get to this last final part, um, let me just hit some, some big ideas here. The first big idea is, is this. Government is given to us by God to be an instrument of justice in a fallen world. We talked about that week one. Government is given to us by God to be an instrument of justice in a fallen world. And this is so important for us to see. Um, all throughout this text, we have seen God is sovereign over all governing authorities, and, and all of this, this is for his good and, and for our human flourishing. Here's the, here's the thing we talked about. You know this, but we live in a fallen world. We are doing life with other sinners. In your neighborhood, you have other sinners in there. And I don't care which neighborhood you live in. You do life with other sinners. Our communities are full of them. Our cities, our state, our nation, sinners. And because of that, because of that, if left to ourselves, we would see injustice. That was the premise that we talked through in week one. And, and what we would see is we would see the weak trampled by the strong. We would see the, the, the hurting overlooked for the healthy. We would see poor being taken advantage of by the rich. That's what we would see. We would see a word for that, biblically, is injustice. And, and so God, in his great grace and mercy, has given us this gift of government to restrain evil, and to be an instrument of justice in a fallen world. That's the first thing we saw. And so what that means is that God is sovereign, um, and he is working in and through government, not just around it. He's working in and through it for his own glory and for our good. 
in this, in this it, 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 government is kind of this wonderful example of what theologians have called common grace. And, and what we mean by, by that is that God has poured out his grace on all of us because he is good. He is good. All humanity enjoys this gift. Okay, that leads to the second thing, um, and this is going to be really simplistic. I get that. Um, but we've, we broke this down into, into this kind of simplistic chart. First, we have our God, our God being sovereign over it all. You notice there's nothing, no space to be above him, and there's nothing beside him. Our God at the top. Second, um, we have our government, governing authorities. Notice, not above, not beside, and not outside. Okay? Um, they are established by our God, designed to operate for his glory. And then lastly, thirdly, we have you. Notice again, you are not above, you are not beside, you are not outside, you are under authority. That's the, the, what Romans 13 has laid out, set before us. Um, and, and so another way to say this is, is just because we and we do bow our knee to King Jesus does not mean that that puts us out here. Does not exempt us from submitting to the authority that God has placed us in. We are not taken out of this domain. And in fact, I would argue that because you bend your knee, bow your knee to King Jesus, that you now obey what he has commanded you to do. And what that means for us is that we submit ourselves to the authorities that God has placed us under. Got quiet in here. You submit to King Jesus. That means that you obey all those laws for his glory. That means that you go the speed limit. That means that you, as we're going to see in our text today, that means you pay your taxes. God cares about that. So government given to us by God to be an instrument of justice in a fallen world. And, and there is that structure, that God-given design that we are given to live within, to bring our God glory, and that we could flourish together as, as human beings. One more thing, and then we'll, we'll, we'll get to work in our specific text here. Um, Romans 13, I don't know how else to say this, is giving us the ideal. Uh, what I mean when I say this, and if you, if you look at our chart again, um, when I say this, what our text does, it, it, it does not tell us what to do in our specific text, when government authorities are way out here. When, when it, doesn't, it doesn't tell us, our text doesn't tell us what to do. When our governing authorities legislate in a way that, that attempts us or coerces us to go against our God in Scripture. It doesn't tell us what we are to do when either intentionally or unintentionally there is coercion here. Now, we have looked at this over the last couple of weeks. There are texts in scriptures that do. Praise God. We see, for example, we brought up Daniel in the book of Daniel. We brought up Peter and John in the book of Acts. But here's the reality. 
Romans 13 presents us with an ideal that we are to live within, presents us with an ideal. Um, honestly, it's, it's a bit like a, a, a school, and uh, I don't know if we have any, any teachers in here, but um, there's this general principle that parents, we tell our kids, you need to listen to your teacher. And every teacher's like, thank you, parents. Please continue to tell your kids that. Listen to your teacher. Listen to your teacher. Now, what if a teacher's corrupt? What if a teacher is trying to get students to do illegal things or corrupt things? Or what if the teacher's trying to get them to cheat? Are you telling your kids to listen to your teachers? Of course not. Of course not. There are times when listening to your teacher might not be the right thing to do. I get that. But even with that potential, parents, we still tell our kids, listen to your teacher. Listen to your teacher. Given that possibility, it doesn't stop us, and it should not t- stop us from, from telling our kids to listen to their teacher. Sure, there are what-ifs, and those what-ifs are important. Sure, there have been bad teachers out there. I get that. But the general principle remains true. Students, listen to your teacher. It still remains true. This is a bit like, and this is a simplistic way, to think about Romans 13. Um, Paul is writing this under the reign of Emperor Nero in ancient Rome. And just for the sake of our example... Nero was an example of a bad teacher. We talked about this. A bad one. We could argue the worst. Like, the worst. We could argue that. But still, yet, Paul puts before us this principle here, this ideal, and it is just as true for them, or for us today, as it was for them. We are to submit to our governing authorities. Now, having said all of that, let's focus our attention now on our verses. Verse 5, let's start here, says this, Therefore, one must be in subjection. Look at our chart here again. Um, This is what Paul is saying here. There is a submission, subjection, placing ourselves under authority. Therefore, one must be in subjection. And why? Why is that? Well, verse 5 continues, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. So we look at our chart. We, we must submit, place ourselves under. And, and why? Well, Paul gives us two reasons for why we need to do that. The first in our text says to avoid God's wrath. Meaning, when we do not place ourselves under the authority God has placed us under, we are then outside of God's design and plan for you. And another way to say that, if if I just want to blow up this this sacred secular divide that you might have in your mind. Um, If you think that you can follow Jesus in your own personal prayer private life, and it have no impact on anything else in your life, you are very wrong. God cares about how you live your life in your community. 
He cares. He cares. As a rule, as an ideal, we submit ourselves under our governing authorities. And as we do that, if you notice, we are submitting ourselves to our God. That's the first thing. Because because our God is sovereign over all things, because he is sovereign over our governing authorities, and he he has placed us under him, when we submit ourselves, we are submitting to him. And if, if you'll allow me, our verse states this in the negative. It says, if you refuse to submit to your governing authorities, you are refusing to submit to your God. Because our God is sovereign and has placed you there. Has placed you there. Now, again, this text does not deal with that time when, when um, the government refuses God's ways. It's not speaking directly to them. It's pointing to you. It's pointing to you. It's not pointing to them and how, no, this, this text shines a light on us and our refusal to submit to authority. And I know authority is a dirty word, can be a dirty word in our culture. But this text points it, its light on us. And and when we refuse to submit to our governing authorities, what this text says is not only do you fill them with wrath against you, what our text says is, listen, you bring on God's wrath upon you because this is God's design. So let's let's look at the, the, the first reason that our text gives is to avoid God's wrath. And that first reason has to do with our God. And I want to state this very clearly, and I'll say this again later, but God cares whether or not you pay your taxes. Sounds crazy to even say that. Um, God cares whether or not you obey laws. God cares about your life in your community. God cares about all of those secular things. Why? Because government is given to us by God to be an instrument of justice in a fallen world. And in it, there is this God-given design and structure that we are called to now live within and live under to bring our God glory and to flourish as human beings. That's the first reason. The second reason we see, first reason had to do with God. The second reason has to do with us, Paul says, but also for the sake of conscience. Conscience. We don't think a lot about conscience today as the church. Um, actually, I would argue that the church is kind of skeptical about the whole idea of conscience. Um, you know, we, we quote things, and it's very true, that the heart is deceitful among all things. Right? We, we, this is why we have this scripture, and, and this is why we don't listen to this heart. Right? I get that. I get that impulse to feel that way. I get it. I really do. But the problem is, is that the whole story of scripture does not allow us does not allow us or give us the space to think about conscience that way. What scripture does is talks a lot about our conscience, talks about the Holy Spirit's work in our conscience. Scripture talks about when our conscience is ignored. Uh, Scripture talks about how to live our lives together with brothers and sisters who don't, who have different consciences. I I would argue that a lot of the New Testament was written to help believers figure out how to do life with each other when we have different consciences. 
Scripture talks about this a lot, and this is what Paul is pointing to here. To ignore the government not only brings God's wrath, but it hurts our own conscience. It hurts us. The example that Paul uses here is taxes. He says in verse 6, for because of this you also pay taxes. Come on, Paul. But to cheat on your taxes, one, brings the wrath and judgment of your God because God cares about your taxes and your tithes, but cares about your taxes. But two, to cheat on your taxes pricks your own conscience. You feel the weight of that wrong, that sin. It eats and it gnaws at your own heart. In other words, I've already said this multiple times, but if we remember, government is given to us by God to be an instrument of justice in a fallen world. And in it, there is this structure and design that you and I are called to live within in order that we may bring glory to God. And don't forget this next part, that we may flourish as humans. And one of the ways that human flourishing is interrupted when we don't submit is that it sears our conscience, sears our heart. It breaks. It impacts our God. It impacts our community. And and Church Paul is clear here. It impacts you personally. It's like God is giving us his desire and his, his design that we can live and function together in a healthy way. And to ignore his plan has profound impacts. Yet, Paul says, to, we, when we submit ourselves, we avoid the wrath of God, but we do it also for the sake of, uh, sake of conscience. And I was really struck now by the language of this next part. If you look here, it says, for the authorities are ministers of God. Attending this very thing. Ministers of God, have you ever thought of your governing authorities as ministers of God? I have not. Have you ever thought of your governing authorities? Have you ever thought of your mayor this way? He's a minister of God. Have you ever thought about your judges and congressmen and women this way? Senators. Have you ever thought of your president? He's a minister. A minister of God. Listen, I want to be honest. Minister of God is not the first thing that comes to my mind. And if you're an American, I would... I would Yes, it's not the first thing that comes to your mind either. Uh, maybe if you were British, maybe if you were Canadian. In fact, I counted about 40 other nations that it would be easier for you to understand this text. But as Americans, we don't have prime ministers. And as Americans, when we hear the word minister, what do you think of? You think of clergy. You think of pastor. And, and there's a reason for that. But if that's your view of ministry, you read this text and you say, what on earth? No. No, I don't view governing authorities as ministers of God. I would argue, though, that we need to define this term because it's a beautiful term here. When we understand this term, it helps quite a bit. Minister is defined as one who is engaged in administrative services, one who is serving the needs of the people. It's a minister. This is why in a churchy world, in a churchy sense, this is why pastors are called ministers. Why is that? Because by the grace of God, ministers are serving the needs of the people. By the preaching of the word, 
by, by caring for the congregation in prayer, spiritual direction, and pastoral care. Ministers. That's why. That's why we are ministers. But this is also why Paul uses this word minister here in our text, because our governing authorities are ministers under God to serve the needs of the people, to provide fair judgments, for example, to provide fair laws and policies to protect human flourishing, ministers to serve the needs of the people. That is why they are called this. They are administering to the needs of the community and the people. And this is why that terminology is so important, ministers of God. I believe this communicates two really important truths. The first truth that this communicates, this ministers of God, is it communicates that the authorities on earth are not above or beyond or beside our God. This of God makes it clear, of God makes it clear that they are under God. That they are not beyond. It, it, it makes it clear that he is the king of kings, lord of lords. They are ministers of God. And I think it's so important. Number two, this also communicates that our God is at work within civil matters. He's not just working around it or in spite of it, but our God is at work through the secular as well as the sacred. He is at work. And this is so important, church. When we say, I want to push on this a little bit, when we say separation of church and state, I think it is important to understand what we are saying. Please do not think that this means that our God is only concerned with the church over here. And that he is not concerned with the state over here. Scripture does not allow us to treat it so flippantly. He is not uninterested. Scripture paints this picture and tells us of the character of God who is interested, who is sovereign over all things, and that one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is God, and every governing leader will give an account for how they led and how they administered, how they served the people under them. God cares about the church and the state. In the same way, our God is sovereign over all things. One day, one day, church, you and I are going to give an account for the way we lived our lives. How we lived our lives under our heavenly authority, heavenly authority, but also our earthly authorities that God has placed us in. We will give an account. And this is so important because the secular, both the secular and the sacred, both the church and the state, matter to our God, and they should matter to us. They should matter to us. And if, I want to, I want to, all right, I'm just going to say it. Um, I think it's a, it's, it's a temptation for us as Christians to think, all of this is just going to burn, who cares? Look at this world, it's going down, who cares? It's going to burn. Um, I've heard this. Heaven is our home, so this place is not my home, so whatever happens here, it's okay, it's okay. Um, the problem is, is that scripture does not tell, teach us that, and, and you might hear that, and, and you might think, well, pastor, what about the text in First and Second Peter that talk about fire, and what about the new heavens and new earth? Okay, 
Scripture paints a picture of restoration, not mass destruction. There will be a fire. Scripture is very clear about that. But if you read, the language and the narrative of Scripture is clear. This church is a refiner's fire. And how do I know that? Because what comes out the other side is not just a charred mess of destruction. It is newness. It is a new heaven. It's a new earth. It is purified, new city, new humanity. It is newness. The story of Scripture is one of restoration, renewal, and redemption. This is why it matters what you and I do today. It matters deeply how we live our lives today. It matters and has significance. What is earthly and temporal is not unimportant. You are here for a reason and you matter. It matters what you do today. God is making all things new and he chose to use you in that mission. This matters. He has not given you the option to look at all that's around you and say, who cares? Who cares? Look at our government, look at our creation, and to flippantly say it's all going to burn. God has not given you that, that privilege to say that, that right to say that. It should break our heart. God cares, and so should we. We should care. We are stewards here today. We are called to bring some shalom here today. Called to be citizens of a new kingdom. Not that's out there, but that scripture says is coming down. We should care. And Romans 13 is just a little glimpse of what that looks like. Of what that looks like. And I don't want us to miss how practical Paul gets here. In verse 7, um, he just goes with this straightforward application. When we think about our civil duty, Paul says this, verse seven, pay to all what is owed to them. How is that for clarity? Understand where God has placed you, understand the responsibilities that are yours, and simply submit yourself and pay to all what is owed to them. Then he says, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed. Well, Paul's there, pay your taxes. Church, it matters. Pay your taxes. Don't cheat because it's not honoring to our God. Pay your bills. Don't cheat. It's not honoring to our God. This was true for the believers in ancient Rome, and it is true for us today. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but it reminds me of Jesus' words in Matthew 22. The Pharisees in verse 15 think that they're clever and they're going to trick Jesus. Uh, in verse 15, they plot to entangle him with his words. Good luck with that. They think they're clever here, and they, so they send their, their, their dudes to go ask him, teacher, listen to how they butter him up. In verse 16, we know that you are true. <laughs> yeah. We teach, or, and you teach the way of God truthfully, and we know you don't care about anyone's opinion. I, they're just buttering him up. It's crazy, and that you're not swayed by appearances. In verse 17, then they say, tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not. And you have to think that they were so proud of themselves. Think, yes, we nailed it. We, we got him. If we can get him to talk about politics, we got him. We, 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 we nailed him. Uh, but Jesus says this, verse 18, 
but Jesus aware of their malice. And I love that because he's always aware of your malice. Sees right through, sees right through to the heart. And he says, why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? Bam. Um, Show me a coin. They brought him one. Jesus says, who's that picture on that coin? This is my translation. Um, They said Caesar's. And he said to them, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God. When they heard it, they marveled. Uh, With their tail tucked between their legs, they left him and went away. What is Jesus saying here? Well, Jesus is saying the same thing that Paul is putting before us in Romans. Pay taxes to who taxes are owed. Revenue to who revenue is owed. Again, Jesus does not give us the option to say yes to God and no to earthly authorities. You don't have that privilege, that option. He reminds us, pay to all what is owed to them. And then Paul moves us from our taxes to something far more difficult. Respect. To whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. This is respect and honor not only to our God, but to our officials. Pause button. Um, I would assume that for so many of us, this is so much more difficult than the money part. This is so much harder than paying taxes because it is, the truth is, is that it is very easy to be a tax-paying citizen while showing absolutely no respect or honor to anyone that's in authority over you. That's way easier. And it's way more popular in churches. I don't think we've gotten to a point where it's not popular to pay your taxes. I think every church will unanimously say, no, pay your taxes. But this whole respect and honor thing, this one hurts in churches. Now, I am not saying that as Christians, we are going to respect every decision that is made by our government. Church, we will certainly not. We do not. There are times, like we've talked about already, that we, will, we must stand up gracefully and truthfully, and we must speak out. There are those times. And I am not saying that every government official is going to be honorable in all of the aspects of their life. They are not. I'm not saying that. Here's what I am saying, though. Even in that, even in this reality we can still show respect to whom respect is due. We can still honor. We can be people of honor and respect. We live in a, in a military city, and I think the military is the best example of a community who gets this. Uh, I, I, I thought of in, a, in the military, when you pass an officer in uniform, what do you do? You salute your superior officer. You do. Why is that? Is it because you respect them personally? Most likely, no. Most likely, you don't know them. You don't really know them. Is it because you agree with everything they say and do? No. Again, you don't know. Is, is, is it because of any honor that they have, you know, earned. No, no, it's not that either. 
You salute, why? To show respect and honor to the office and to the person who sits in authority over you. It's baked into the culture of our military. And I would argue that's a very good thing. In a very real sense, this is similar to our call as Christians. We'll make this real and, uh, yeah, we're just going to go for it. As Americans, as Americans, I want us to think specifically about our president. Everyone in the room is like, I'm waiting for what I'm about to say. Get over it. Here we go. Whoever sits in the Oval Office, whoever is president, whether you voted for him or not, whether you agree with him or not, regardless, we as Christians can still be a people of respect and honor. We can still be a people of respect and honor for the office and for those in authority. That can be tough to do, and at times it can be tougher than others. At times, you and I, we're absolutely, we might not agree. At times, we might not respect the behavior, decisions. I get it. But church, we can still be a people of respect and honor. We can still be a people by how we speak, by how we engage with people, by how we conduct ourselves, by how you post on your social media. Wild, wild west out there. We can be a people of respect and honor. We can walk in wisdom and truth and humility. And I want you to hear me. Respect doesn't mean full endorsement of everything. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that we can be a people of respect and honor. And I want you to imagine how refreshingly countercultural that would be today if the people of God would act that way. I hate what I see in the news. Imagine if we could lead the way in respect and honor. This is good. This is godly. This is the way of Jesus. Government, I'm going to say it again, given to us by God as an instrument of justice in a fallen world. And in it, there's this God-given, designed structure that we now get to live within to bring our God glory and to function well as human beings. And as such, as followers of Jesus, now we submit ourselves to the authority of those we are placed under for the good, for the glory of God and for our own good. I think it's important that we end, that we end here um, I'm reminded of Colossians 3. And, and I'd like to end, with our, end our time in Romans 13, the first section, with Colossians 3, because I want to bring all of this to worship. Colossians 3, 16 and 17 specifically is what I want to hone in on here. In verse 16, it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Then verse 17, and whatever you do in word or deed, 
do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do in your church or in your community, sacred or secular, Whatever you do, do it all in the name of Jesus. Do it all for the glory of God, giving thanks to our God. Here is my challenge to all of us as we finish up this time in Romans 13. I want us to all collectively think about worship. And when I say this, I think it's easy when I say the word worship for us to think of Colossians 3.16. Put the first verse up here. It's easy to think about this verse. When we think of worship, it's easy to think about the word of Christ dwelling in us. Yes. It's easy to think about teaching, admonishing, and wisdom, and singing together, and hymns, and spiritual songs, and thankfulness. That's worship, right? We see that, and we think of worship, and we say, yes, that's it. We're a Colossians 3, 16, worshiping people. That's worship. My challenge for us today is that we would also be a Colossians 3.17 worshiping people. That whatever you do in word or deed, Whatever you do in word or deed, that is worship. When, when we do everything, when we do it all in the name of Jesus, my challenge for all of us, this is going to sound weird, my challenge for all of us as we begin to think through and to see our relationship with our government, with authorities, is that we begin to do all that we do as an act of worship. This is my challenge for all of us today. That when you go the speed limit, as Craig brought up last week, that when you pay your taxes, as Paul brought up this week, that when you serve in your community, when you get called for jury duty, right? All of it, that we would do it as an act of worship before our God. Let how we talk about our government how we talk about our president, how we talk about our mayor, how we post on our social media, all of that, let it be an act of worship before our God. I pray that at Stone Oak Bible Church that we, that we see this and that we are a people that everything we do, we do as an act of worship before our God because we know that God cares about it and so should we. So, one more thing. Hear me. If you and I want to have any witness at all for the gospel in our community, if we want to have the opportunity to share the gospel with more and more and more people in our community, then let us be a people of respect and honor in our community. Let us not just be a Colossians 3.16 people who sing and preach and give thanks. And, and do all the churchy things. But let us be also a Colossians 3.17 people who do everything as unto the glory of God.